Good day and welcome to a special Real Takeover episode with me as your host, Hafid James. Today I'll be sitting down talking with Kevina and Tien, along with Sue Richards from the Family Center as we discuss child sexual abuse. If this is something you're not totally comfortable with, I would advise skipping it, maybe coming back later, but you have been warned. Good day everyone and welcome to a special episode of The Real Takeover. Today, I will be your host, IFBB Pro, Hafid James, and I'm here along with Kev and Tian of The Real Uncensored, along with Su- Susan Richardson of The Family Center. Uh, I'm going to let everyone introduce themselves in case you're new to our channel. I would like to start with <laughs> Sue. Hello, everyone. I'm Susan Richardson. I'm actually the Director of Counseling Services at The Family Center. Hi, my my name is Kevina um, or Loray of Real Uncensored. Um, a lot of you know me as Loray Uncensored, and I'm an intimacy coach, body positive coach, and law of attraction coach. I love it. Hi, guys. My name's Tian. I am half of the Real Uncensored brand. I am a private chef. I am an all-around dope individual. You know, big up myself. Um, but yeah, this is this is this fun being on this side. Yeah. Back to you, host. <laughs> so today we are here to talk about a uh, very serious subject. So slight trigger warning: we will be talking about child sexual abuse. Anyone that that might feel uncomfortable for you, you've been warned. If you need to click away, you have five, four, three, two, one. All right. And we're getting into it. Uh, so as I stated, we will be talking about child sexual abuse. And what I want to do to kind of start out is have each person kind of share a story or a connection they might have, rather themselves or someone they know, dealing with child sexual abuse. I would like to start with Susan. Sure. Um As I think about the Family Center and the children and families that we service, one of the things that I would say as a significant theme is that we certainly provide services to our um, children and families that um, are 14 to 18 um, as the age of the child. And one of the dynamics that we certainly see surrounding child sexual abuse really has to do with the whole uh, premise surrounding secrecy. And we've certainly seen the impact of, um, you know, a child actually being impacted to the point that, you know, um, they were told not to say anything. They were in a position where they were threatened. Um, And these are sort of, um, you know, our typical um, sort of um, scenarios of what happened. And, um, you know, and you could imagine the impact that has on a child when they're told um, not to say anything surrounding something that they experience, such as being touched, being touched inappropriately, you know, being either tricked, trapped, forced, or bribed. And, you know, and those are some of the elements uh, that, that shows up with sexual abuse. And, you know, and, and where we come into the picture is that we're, we're experiencing the, the, the very challenge of the family being able to deal with that. And, um, and, and, and the break up or the, 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 sh- the, the challenge that families face is like how they respond to that child at that moment in terms of what do they say when they disclose or if they disclose. Because for some children, they actually don't. And there, there's some, you know, things that a parent may be able to see that certainly shows them that there's something happening, something out of the ordinary. You know, you know, you went from a child that actually was very bubbly, um, you know, engaged in a lot of different activities, um, were doing really good grade-wise, and all of a sudden you're seeing what we call like pain-based behavior, distress symptoms. You know, a child, you know, now to the point where they're, you know, not, um, you know, as talkative as they used to be. Um, appetite change, you know, um, soiling themselves, wetting themselves, to the point that, you know, they're also having what we say PTSD symptoms, where they're having difficulty when it comes to being able to, you know, um, um, sleep and function. They're having nightmares. They're having triggers. Um, they're having all these symptoms that are, are indicative of what um, sort of um, the impact of sexual abuse can do. Um, and, 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 you know, and one of the things that we know is that we're available um, to support um, in these 
in these ways. And one of the most important thing is how a family responds. And so when a parent or um, you know families that are connected to the child acknowledges that they believe them, that's a very important thing. Um, when they acknowledge that they're available to ensure that they stay safe, that is super important. And then when they actually take steps to ensure that they get the healing and the support that they need at that moment, that is you know, one of the most tremendous thing that anyone could do for a child at that moment is just to really create that safe space, um, that space that allows them to be able to you know, speak to their story. Um, not all the time they can speak to it in terms of verbally like um, you know, adults can, and so, you know, being able to provide um, what we say, you know, uh, a family-friendly approach, which could be like play therapy or, um, you know, doing other approaches such as, you know, art therapy, allowing them to draw it out, you know, play it out and, and to tell their story in a way that, um, that reflects what they are needing to do at that moment or that time or being very silent about it. But yet they are getting a, a opportunity to have safety. Um, so, you know, that, that, that's certainly some of the, the dynamics that we see at the Family Center. I do have a question before we move on. Uh, one of the things I was always curious about was how do you determine, okay, he just reacted bad once mm -hmm. versus, okay, there's trauma. Is it a, okay, this is now a continuous pattern mm -hmm. that you look for? Mm -hmm. Good question, Hafid. Um, you know, one of the things we would say is that the, the level of distress is so significant that is a marked difference from, um, you know, um, what has happened before um, in terms of their baseline. And so um, how we assess that is that, you know, it, there could be a period of time in terms of months you know, it could be a three month period where you're noticing that, you know, the appetite is being impacted. Um, there could be a period of time where, you know, the soiling is occurring and it's occurring at, you know, at, at, at a, a lengthy time that is not normal and shows a high level of distress. Uh, one more thing. So to make sure it's clear for all our viewers, I know SCARS, their focus is teaching child sexual abuse to adults. Mm -hmm. The coalition really deals with the child upbringing. Mm -hmm. I know they do courses and mm -hmm. stuff. Who would you say your target is? Who's the people that you involve? How do you directly impact? Sure. So, so with the Family Center, we actually we support, as I said earlier, um, children that are between the ages of four to eighteen, and um, and we, um, we we certainly get referrals from various places, um, and sometimes we get it from schools, we get it from um, family members that are sort of reaching out to us, and then the direct family member will come in terms of the guardian and indicate in terms of they want support. Um, and so the, 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 the gamut of people that we, we're servicing are those that will um, indicate that their child is actually suffering from social, emotional, behavioral, or trauma-like. Um, and so sexual abuse is one of the, the, the various um, you know, uh, elements of some of the, the things that we're noticing um, that a family could come to us for services for. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Kev? Okay, so <laughs> thank you for having me on this show. No problem. <laughs> so um, this topic is it's, it's actually huge for me and it's not something that we approach very frequently. I have had episodes of Real Uncensored where I shared a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of what happened to me and I've never fully disclosed to the world what happened and I'm still not today so <laughs> um but it is something that i didn't have memories like full memories about for years and i remember we recorded an episode of the podcast with dr adrian berkeley um she's amazing and i had a flashback in the middle of the episode mm -hmm. and then i just started crying like in the middle of the episode so Long story short, this is something that is very important to me and something that I'm passionate about. And you can ask T or anybody that follows me on social media, really. I don't involve myself in um, a lot of drama surrounding stuff like like anything, like anything that's controversial or, you know what I mean? I don't get into like Twitter fights or like I don't post stuff about controversy. And the one time I did, it was um, during a big court case when people were like heavily sharing their opinions and I kind of went off it and I was just like, no, somebody needs to protect mm -hmm. these kids. Mm -hmm. Like somebody needs to protect these kids and for grown men to, to mm -hmm. call kids women mm -hmm. in order to not feel 
as bad, like they did something wrong mm-hmm. for taking advantage of these children. Um, it was it was repulsive for me, and I kind of this that was the one time that I did take a huge stand on social media because somebody needs to protect mm-hmm. these kids. So um, this is something that's very dear to my heart. But with the platform that we have as Real Uncensored, the amount of times women have came to us and said, "Oh, because this happened." Um, and I don't even think it's on the podcast. I think it's just because we do the podcast. So many women have come and disclosed something that happened to them as a child. And whatever you think is the amount of um, kids that have been taken advantage of, it's more than that. Yes. It's yes. more than that. And um, because we can do these statistics, yes. but what about the people who we never find out Absolutely. about? You know what I mean? Yes. Because there's a lot of people that's just like... I. I think it's like one in three for women, right? Yes. But that's just the ones that have talked about it, you know? That's that's just the ones that I've talked about. I said the statistics are even not as clear as they should be because a lot of people don't feel safe enough to let anyone know that something has happened to them. And that rate, like the amount of people that have been sexually abused is disgusting. Yeah. And... Um, it has to stop. It has to like it's re- like it's ridiculous. Yeah. Like it's yeah. actually ridiculous and out of this world. And um, yeah, I know the statistics, but I know based on what I do for a living, what my statistics in my head are, and it's it's completely different than what's on paper. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, this topic is really important to me because it shows up in everyday life in my trauma in the women that I work with as an intimacy coach, helping women heal and um, undo some of the trauma that have happened. I've had to do rituals with women who needed to um, forgive everyone in a situation, including their parents who may have known, but didn't help. Um, It's, it's a lot. And it's something that this, it's, this is part of the reason why I can only take a certain amount of clients per week um, for intimacy coach, because most of the women that I work with have, endured some form of sexual trauma and i'm not saying that it doesn't happen to men i just work with women uh i think you said a few points that i would like to touch on mm-hmm. um one of the things you said is that that safety about coming out mm-hmm. one of the one of the things i remember most about taking the scars training was actually being in there and having one of the mothers there mm-hmm. who actually came out and told the cops that her her husband was abusing her kids and her entire family wrote her off mm-hmm. And she is now homeless because her family was like, no, you're supposed to, you're supposed to keep that in-house. Like, how dare you take that out and put it in the public? And I think stuff like that, just hearing that is a big reason why people's scared. I mean, the, the big version, if you just look at like the Catholic church and stuff like that, but it's still happening in the micro where people are scared, like, if I come out, what what's going to happen to me? How's people going to look at me and my family? How's that going to go? And I think something else you touched on was, you know, your journey of healing and you helping other people. Uh, if you don't mind, and if it's not too personal, I would like you to kind of expand on that more. Just Just the ways you yourself and you get the people around you to kind of help deal with that trauma. Mm-hmm. Well, honestly, first and foremost... And what I do as a coach, a lot of times I'm like, I should write this down. I should plan for this session. I should do this. And I realized later in life that it's, there's no method. There's no method because like people want to talk about what they want to talk about. What I do as a coach is less about what I say and what I do and how I listen. Like, and more about how I listen. Because some of these people just see that I'm willing to share. Like I'll share with my clients what happened to me. I'm willing to be open-minded and I understand that nothing that happens to them is their fault. And for the first time they have someone there that they can fully open up to. And I honestly think that the most important thing that I do is listen. So that's the first one, just letting them talk and not interrupting them, not cutting them. Like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like just letting them talk and letting them cry. And sometimes we'll do a session that's an hour and for a half an hour, I'm just... I'm listening and I'm letting them cry. But, um, you know, in time when they've talked it out and they've got a lot of their system, then we start to approach certain things like how is this trauma affecting your everyday life? Now, I also want to say that scope of practice. I am a life coach. I am not a licensed psychologist and I do not operate as one. So a lot of the times 
I will send my clients to a psychologist and then they can come back to me after they've received a certain amount of sessions because some things are not in my scope of practice. But it's it's really listening and then doing shadow work to figure out, you know, how does this impact my life? Shadow work is basically work where you dig up your past and um, approach that trauma head on. Um, so doing shadow work to figure out how this stuff is impacting their life, how, how they respond to things, how they respond to relationships, to people, just how it's showing up. But um, also sometimes we do inner child work where I have my client um, actually tether themselves to a childhood memory that's good so that they can get into the headspace of that memory and then be an adult while talking to that child. So they're the child, but they're also the adult. And I have them coach themselves mm -hmm. as an adult to that child and tell their child self what they need to hear. And it's a lot. I wouldn't just, you know, do it. Come to me because I literally have to be there. I have to monitor you. I have to make sure you're okay because I've had people do those exercises and hyperventilate. I, you know what I mean? It's a lot. It's a lot, but um, inner child work is one that's really important to me when dealing with childhood trauma and shadow work, which is, you know, understanding the past. Like, inner child work is shadow work, understanding the past and how it impacts your everyday life. And, um, yeah, creating a support system and a plan to try and heal. And a lot of times that plan includes other medical professionals, not just me. Yeah, I always think it's a, it's a network. Yeah. It's a system. Uh, that's one of the reasons why even doing this campaign, I didn't want to just focus on one. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, as we said before, SCARS has their mm -hmm. their direction, Family Center has their direction, the coalition has their direction. Mm -hmm. So being able to come together and bring all those directions together, mm -hmm. I think whenever you can get a network of system, you're going to get the best results. So I'm proud of you. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. I have a quick question before I share. When you define childhood sex child sexual abuse is it always with someone who's older than 18 or can it be with people who are under the age of 18 so that's a really interesting question one of the things i'll say to you when it comes to child sexual abuse is that how it is actually defined is that it's typically someone that is older okay or powerful more knowledgeable right and they utilize that uh, difference um to uh take advantage of that Got person you. okay so um yeah Okay, cool. Yeah, so I, with that definition, have never experienced it myself. However, I did have a little cousin come to me, and she were, we were just, during the holiday, she just came to me, and she sat in my lap, and she looked at me, and she said something, and I was like, what? And she just started bawling. And I was like, what happened? So she started to tell me about how her neighbor looks at her funny and she feels uncomfortable and she felt like she had no agency in that moment. And I was like, first of all, thank you for choosing me mm -hmm. because like, I, I appreciate, I don't take it lightly that I was a safe space for her. And then secondly, I was like, who's this man? Don't you worry. I'm going to call your daddy. I'm going to talk to your mama. I will show up at your house. I will sit outside with you and play with you if I need to. Because what we're not going to do is have you feeling uncomfortable at your age. Like, you are a child. You're allowed to be a child. So, like, for me, this is something that I'm very passionate about as well. Because, like, I don't ever want anyone to miss out on their childhood because of the evil actions of an adult. Like, I, I take it very like I don't take it for granted that I was able to have my childhood I was able to grow up in a safe space to have that but like when it comes to the people around me I'm an empath I feel all of the emotions of the people around me like I you could be even if it's just like the grocery store packer I'm feeling I'm feeling you're having a bad day I can feel that so like I am super passionate because I just want to make sure everyone is allowed to have safe space, allowed to have access to tools that even if they have gone through a situation, they can now heal through that situation. It's not just about all the time recognizing it, but now once we've recognized it, how can we help you put all those pieces back together? Because I think a lot of times, like, we are very careful in, like, unpacking people's stuff 
without having tools to help you put it back together because that can be way more damaging and way more detrimental to your mental health if you just have someone being like, well, let's just look at all the bad stuff, all right? We'll pick that, pull all of this out, and then, all right, cool. Have a great day. Have some tea when you get home. Like, that can be way more damaging. And if anything, tap into how vulnerable you felt when you were going through such situations. So like we're very careful at making sure we do have a team around us that we're able to um, tap in if we're if it's beyond what we're capable of doing. Like we've done an event um, after the situation with the news article where we wanted to create a safe space for women. So I, it was just a safe space like but we also tapped in a trauma counselor to be on site just in case anything came up because we understood that reading that on the front of the newspaper was triggering. Like it was damaging. It hurt, especially being a young black woman who has been curvaceous majority of her life and has been approached and hit on by older men and women. Like it, it's, that was a very triggering moment for just us. And we were like, it can't just be us knowing the circle that we know. So we created the safe space, but we made sure that just in case anything came up in us trying to create that safe space, we had a trauma counselor on site to just be there just to just as extra support because it's never I it's it's a ongoing we were talking about it on a previous episode about how growth never stops. It's a continuous cycle. So you you're healing and you're you're doing this, but like it's it's something that can pop up at any point. They're like I know for me, stuff from my childhood, like a smell can mm-hmm. trigger it. Mm-hmm. Something like a noise or a feel like something small, a small feeling can trigger those things to come back up. So you think you're done with it. Mm-hmm. Here I am, 27 years old, and I'm just like, why? What is it about that one thing that has sparked this um, this thing? So like I think you guys doing this is super important because. It's awareness and it's also now that we have awareness, how can we tap back into the services that already exist on island um, to help people get through this situation? And I think you um, you touched on a lot of great points. Uh, one that really stood out to me is that that trauma as a child mm-hmm. and how it can always come back later on, later mm-hmm. on. Like uh, we think of the army vet that comes home and they hear a car backfire yeah. and they think they're back in the war. Right. And we fail to realize that's life for a lot of people. Yeah. Like people, when you go through something as a child and it's traumatic, that kind of stays with you for such a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And you don't know what smell, what feeling, what sight can activate it. Even um, putting on my lifestyle hat for a second, if you think of what stress itself does to the body, um, how it, it's toxic to the body, mm-hmm. how it can actually ruin organs, uh, mm-hmm. give you a greater chance of getting certain illnesses like diabetes, weight gain, depression. And just imagine if your, your victimizer lived at your house. Yeah. That means every day you come home from school, yep. you're in a traumatic yeah. state. Yeah. What if there's someone that comes over the weekend? That means if you know that they're on Friday from like Wednesday, you're starting to stress out about it, thinking, man, Friday's coming. I know what's going to happen on Friday. Mm-hmm. And there's there's so much people that go through so much different things, which is the story, one of the stories I want to touch on, that it just stems from that childhood. And it's going to completely alter your life. Mm-hmm. Um, before I get into really what I want to say, something you said I want to kind of as as uh, I'm just going to jump in real quick, tap in as a host of Real Uncensored. Can you please put the mic closer to your mouth when oh. you're talking so that our listeners can clearly hear you? And then, okay, back to you. Is this better? That's better. Okay, yes. my apologies. <laughs> First time. Um, now, you did talk about healing and them kind of dealing with it. With the family center, you would deal with kind of that aspect. Like once it's already happened, they would, you're one of the resources someone can go to to kind of help with that healing as in, okay, this is what happened. These are the tools you can put together. Um, now, did you say the age range would stop at 18? Yes. So if it is someone who's older than 18, uh, what, would your, what would your recommendations be? 
So there are other um, service providers that does help um, those that will be in the category of adults, such as like Women's Resource Center, and then there's private practice um, psychologists that are also available um, to be able to support in that in that particular area. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, to continue piggybacking on what you were saying, uh, one of the stories I want to share is about someone I knew growing up, and we saw her outcome. Uh, she had to drop out of school because she had two kids. And as soon as people saw her, she was already, oh, one of those. Mm -hmm. And she was demonized by almost everyone just as soon as you see her. Like, didn't ask a question, didn't know who she was as a person, didn't know anything about it. You just saw her with two kids. You heard she had to drop out, demonized. What a lot of people didn't know is that she was abused growing up by her uncle for years. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the big reasons for this campaign is to really show you like, it's easy to judge and look at someone's outcome. The mm -hmm. person in prison, person in bad relationships, um, people, uh, people that might have multiple kids, whatever the case may be. But did you ever kind of understand how did they get there? Right. Like there's a lot of resources for those things, but I'm always a believer on attacking that root issue. Like the more we can prevent the abuse from happening, we're giving kids that greater chance. So yes, we want them to have a childhood, but we also want to protect their future. Mm -hmm. I have a question. Is there any kind of resources here in Bermuda for someone who is the abuser? Like what can... If they have now realized that the things that they've done have caused trauma to someone else, is is that a family center can step in or is that still just a private practice thing? So what I'll say to you is that um, when you first asked the question surrounding um, to do with children, um, one of the things that, um, and you were asking about age, what I'll say to you that there are children that um, are under 18, that um, sometimes they have um, have had some sexualized behaviors or some challenges um, where they actually have um, pushed past the boundaries of other children, and um, and they may be sort of same age peers, and so um, we certainly have been available and we've been servicing um, free of charge um, families pertaining to um, children that are. Um, needing intervention at that stage because of course if you don't catch it at a you know an early stage it can develop as something that is um, you know goes into a sexual abuse category so um, we we do provide support for children as I said and some of them have impulse control challenges and as I said as some of them you know from a sensory perspective they're not aware of their body in conjunction with others and for some of them because of abuse they themselves are actually you know um, inappropriate um, in terms of in their um, peers' space. Mm -hmm. And so we absolutely, you know, we have social skills groups. And in our social skills group, we're helping with like self-esteem pieces, um, how to get along with others, you know, um, support them uh, because those are core intervention supports to help children that may have challenges because of, you know, um, what they've been exposed to. Um, we have camps, specialized camps, and in our camps, we're providing that level of support to our children. Um, now, the major question, which is a very interesting one, because I've been part of forums and we've had this conversation, and that was like over four years ago, and it was a number of service providers that we were all together, as well as just people in the community, and we brought up the, the, the question, is there, what is it out there for those that actually are sexual offenders? Mm -hmm. And I remember years ago being part of a training where um, it was connected to um, the uh, Westgate, where there was someone that actually was working there that actually had training to help those that were violent offenders, as well as those that actually had um, challenges surrounding um, offending, surrounding sexual abuse. And um, and I remember that not being something that was um, was available um, after years later. And so as we talked recently, you know, four years ago, we found out that there's not many service providers that are available that um, sort of specialize in that area. Mm -hmm. But in addition to that, one of the challenging things is that people in our small community, those that actually really want help, they're reluctant and they feel uncomfortable get, about getting help. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I know that another part of it is that they have to be willing, motivated, yeah. energized, wanting to get the help. 
in spite of even being in a space like this, that the shame and guilt could overcome them, right? right. Um, so, so short answer is that um, I don't know t of too many people that have identified themselves as available to provide that level of services for those that actually have the sexual abuse um, tendency or have sexually offended. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had someone come to you um, or any of your coworkers that wanted help for that situation? Um, in my recollection, I don't recall um, us having um, that as an adult. Uh, an adult. Okay. But when it comes to a child, absolutely. We okay. certainly have had children, um, like any other agency, that actually you could tell that they needed another level of intervention. And some of them actually, it got to the point that they actually needed to go overseas because of the, the propensity and the, um, and the psychological um, distress that was within them in terms of the preoccupation, the, 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 the hyper-sexualized pieces did put them in the position where they actually was a you know, risk to um, others. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was just asking that question because we have talked about it on previous episodes where we acknowledge, like in our age now, acknowledge that some of the things we thought were normal are not so as victims of things that we thought were normal we also understand on the reverse side of that that the perpetrator also has to now realize that so i just wanted to take that perspective on we're all un we're all unlearning a lot of toxic things so like if you are a if you realize that you are a victim or i mean you are the person who caused trauma to someone else, you can reach out and still have resources that are available to you. And I and I could actually say that, yeah, I, I've certainly have, um, you know, and we've certainly have service um, children that have um, had that as a child. Absolutely, it's good to know. And and, and we are, um, you know, and you guys brought up in terms of being trained and um, being, uh, you know, qualified. Yes, we have trained. Um, um, therapists that um, have been providing um, support for those that have experienced trauma, mm -hmm. and that's and that's that's one of our hallmarks in terms of um, acknowledging the importance of um, supporting those that have had adverse childhood experiences. Good to know. Good to know. I kind of want to slightly touch base off of what you said because I know for me growing up, the the education side wasn't there when it came to that. Mm -hmm. uh, my idea of a predator was a stranger in a trench coat. That's what I thought a predator was. That's what a That's pedophile. That's what they tell us. Yes. yes. Um, so I'm going to take the male perspective. There was a girl a year younger than us, and she really liked me. Um, never had sex, but close enough where if her parents would have found out she could have. I need you to talk right into the mic. She could have pressed charges. Is this good? Yes. Okay. <laughs> She could have like pressed charges and I could have been a pedophile, been a, mm -hmm. just because I didn't know. I learned about the age of consent through Law and Order SVU. Mm -hmm. Like that is where I learned that from. Many of us. Men, I said that and some people laughed and half the room was like, yeah, me too. So I, I really think education's a part of it from looking at it from my side to being like, oh, okay, because I'm 17, and she's 16, because again, I'm thinking, you know, if she's in her first year and I'm in my last year, okay, that's a problem. Like if I'm, if I'm in my first year and I'm driving to school to pick up somebody, that, that's an issue. But knowing just that year, a few months different could have completely changed my life. And then even from the child standpoint, understanding what grooming tactics are. Mm -hmm. uh, from my understanding now, we're doing a docu-series because I want to learn more about this. Even the question you asked about like, who these people can go to if they need help. These are questions I want to figure out myself. But even my research for doing the docu-series when it comes to education, like there might be a week, a week for maybe the first few years that you get a course and that's it. But like Bermuda has the tutorial, we have the resources to actually make it a curriculum from like, I think it's from at least primary school to like the last year of high school. Mm -hmm. How is this not implemented? Like how much people could be saved just because right. they understand, oh, this older man, you know, because they might not abuse you at first. Yeah. They want you to feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. So it's not this person just giving me stuff to give me stuff. Mm -hmm. I know that they're grooming me. I know what's good touch, bad touch, stuff like that. So I think education is always going to be an important part. Mm -hmm. 
we definitely here work on education as well as um, from the body autonomy side of it, like teaching children consent. Um, but we also did an episode on like the grooming process mm -hmm. and like what it looks like, especially from a Christian based lens of like, what scripture tells us that women should and shouldn't do like all of that stuff goes is heavily a part of unfortunately our culture as Bermudians our culture as black people like the, you touched on the point of where you're not supposed to talk about this outside the house but no if I'm being hurt in my house then I need to talk to somebody outside of my house because obviously the people in my house are not trying to keep me safe so like I think like just this conversation is education this conversation is awareness mm -hmm. because like us like how you on the live on the episode had a flashback and realized something like for us it's constantly like being like huh things that we put in the back of our brain we didn't think about we've shut that part of our brains off like these conversations we like we're always extending ourselves to have these conversations, but we also understand that like it's no, it's we're talking about heavy things. Like yeah. it's not this is not something like like starting off the episode by saying that this is a heavy topic. Like yeah. this is a heavy topic. Mm -hmm. And I really do hope that if you're listening to this, you're not too triggered. Like if I hope anyone listening is able to turn this off whenever they need it to. And you don't ever have to come back to this episode. You don't ever need to finish this episode. None of that. But just know that you can reach out to us now that we have a connection with the Family Center and we can send you in the right direction, whether it's you, your children, your cousins, your nieces, your nephews, your neighbor from down the street. Like, just you can reach out to us and now we can be a liaison for those that need help in between love coming together <laughs> does anyone teach classes on um consent like actually just teach classes and consent like before it's a problem before someone's abused before you know what i mean because i'm like we're doing so much for cure like for yes. healing and cure and, and restoration after the fact. And I'm like, the amount of times as a young woman, I was told that I needed to cover up. And let me mm -hmm. tell you something. I was a big girl and I had big boobs. And um, the amount of times in the church, I was mm -hmm. taught that I was dressed inappropriate and men were going to look at me inappropriately because I had cleavage showing. I had cleavage showing in everything. I might, let me tell you, I lived with my grandmother who was not playing any games when it came to me showing my body. So the fact that adults could still say to me that I was dressed inappropriately is because I'm curvy. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm curvy. Um, so... I just remember vividly so many times being mm -hmm. told that I needed to dress different mm -hmm. or like carry myself in a way that wouldn't tempt men mm -hmm. um, to want to um, uh, assault me or abuse me or anything like that. And I just want to know how many times young men or boys are being told to respect women mm -hmm. and being given the consent talk. Um, I remember on Grey's Anatomy, um, one of the characters, Ben Warren, he had a stepson and he gave him a consent talk the minute he realized that he was getting to the age where he was interested in girls and he was just like, look, the minute she's uncomfortable, whatever she... Like, he gave him a whole chat. Mm -hmm. And I remember recording that part of the episode because it was the first time I had ever seen anything like that for, like, on television, a man to pull a young boy aside and say, mm -hmm. you know what, you like girls now? It's time to talk about consent. Because when we become of age and we become, of cur like, curvy, we got pulled aside and we got taught about how we need to dress and carry ourselves. But our boys being given the same talks and girls and everybody like kids being given those same talks about consent and how to respect other children's bodies before it becomes a problem um i could definitely speak to coalition for protection of children they actually um they um certainly have a mandate to be able to provide preventative um, support to our children in our public school and they have been um, you know through a um, number of the schools um, speak up and be safe um, sort of themes um, and and that is so important that you brought that up and as well as scars scars actually has on their website some videos really cool videos for um, that are um, for for children to watch 
and it's very child friendly in terms of about consent, exactly that word consent. And it breaks it down in a way that it's so important for our children, our community to actually hear it in this way. And for parents also to hear what is being encouraged of their child, you know, from a consent perspective. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a few weeks ago, I actually had a conversation with a few of my staff because we were talking about in terms of like, how, how can we do more? Because we're also an agency that does prevention as well as advocacy too. Right. So I know that I spoke to the intervention part because that's um, you know that's the hat that I wear. But as an agency, we actually you know we do do preventative things, um, mm -hmm. and even some of our social skills group are very preventative. Like we've had this group that we did, um, and we've done it multiple times called um, Salvaging Sisterhood, and as a, mm -hmm. as a group specifically for girls that really gets into the heart of the matter surrounding in terms of who they are in conjunction with others and and and, and who they want to be, and um, helping them with their self confidence and helping them to also um, be aware of what's happening around them. To, to ensure that they're more equipped to, to deal with some of the, um, not directly, some of the elements of what grooming could look like. You know, um, and recently what we talked about was, you know, a group for boys. We literally, um, we have a, you know, male staff um, in our counseling team and we were talking about, you know, what some of our boys would need. Um, because here it is, we, you know, we do a good job sometimes of, 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 of supporting, um, you know, the girls. Um, and then sometimes we forget, like, like, we need to help them surrounding boundaries. We need to help them surrounding their impulses. We have to help them because from a developmental perspective, they have some, um, you know, raging things that are happening to them hormonally too and so they need that intervention and support from a preventative perspective as you highlighted mm -hmm. and so we talked about having a, a group that really talks about the heart of this matter literally right. mm -hmm. um so yeah i'm just wondering like i know like you being on the show now mm -hmm. and well us being on Hafiz's show <laughs> <laughs> um is is doing something and getting the word out but i just feel like i'm a sex educator intimacy coach or whatever the fact that I didn't know that, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I just feel like we need to do more. Like, we need to, like, who's funding this? Mm -hmm. Who's funding this? Like, we need to, I, I don't know what, like, we're, we're spreading knowledge now, but I just feel like if I didn't know that, there's parents raising young kids that don't know that, that could need help in how to facilitate a conversation with their kids. Like, I'm thinking about parents who are like, I don't know how to talk to them about this because, like, you know, I can do it because of what I do, but like how many people had their own struggles as kids and didn't have the resources to know, and now they're raising kids and they have to have these chats on consent with their kids, man, they don't even understand consent fully. So I'm like, do parents know that there's resources exist? Is there classes for parents who need um, help talking to their kids? Like, I want to get all the information out there so that people know that they have help. Because I can see that there could be a lot of people that want to talk to their kids about this or want to get the word out there, but they don't know how. Um, gosh, I feel like it was at least five, at least five years ago, we actually, um, we, we did like a deep dive. Um, and it was specifically for our parenting group. That's our family group. We, we actually do parenting group. Mm -hmm. And one of the um, discussion was about sex. Um, because we knew that it was important for parents to feel more comfortable because we, you know, we have some um, old school parents that actually feel very uncomfortable in getting to the subject matter. And I know that in, in, in even my therapeutic um, work that I've done with families, I've always loved to ensure that they had resources, literally books. Mm -hmm. um, I would give them books that actually, you know, really it was about, you know, your buddy's yearn or um, other books that really um, helped um, children that were curious because that was the other thing that, you know, because all of um, the discussions around sex sometimes became something that was taboo mm -hmm. for our parents and they really didn't want to talk to their nine-year-old, although the nine-year-old was ready and, and, you know, and even younger because they're, you know, for some of them, their inquisitiveness or their, their explore, um, exploration part really um, put them in a position where they were ready for it. The parent may have been, not been. Right. So, so the resources are available. You know, we, as I said, I used to give out books all the time to parents or have sessions, literally have sessions where like, and prepare the parent in terms of, okay, so based on the questions your child is asking, based on the fact that they're, they're, they're like developmentally, like I know they're five, but you know what? They're, they're asking questions. That's like a eight year old would ask, mm -hmm. you know, they're ready. Let's have this dialogue and here's some resources. And so I've, I've coached parents to sort of begin the conversation. And, and, and that's what our, our, our workers do. We, okay. we, we I wanted you to say it yes, online, absolutely. online, on 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 the on absolutely. air, so that people know that they can have that. Yes. Because I've had parents come to me, and let me tell you, I have never given birth. 
Um, I have a beautiful stepchild, mm-hmm. and um, I have had some conversations with her, but I talk to her mom a lot. We talk about what I can talk to her about and what I can't. I don't have a kid. Yeah. I don't have a kid. So I'm doing my best trying to give people the help that they need, but also scope of practice, yes. you know, the scope of practice. I don't, I'm not qualified specifically for the, the parenting stuff. Yes. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just wanted that information to be out there, and it's important. And also, can I get a book list from you? Yes. <laughs> Thank I, you. I actually brought a bag of books. I literally did. I, I love absolutely, you. Yes, I, I brought a bag. <laughs> Uh, I wanted to touch base on something you said, Kev, Mm -hmm. uh, when it comes about talking about consent. Uh, Again, male perspective. I think two things we have to do as males is be brave enough to get that information. Mm -hmm. Because when it comes to consent, if you just look at the human race in general, people don't like to give up power. Men have had the power. Men if we wanted to do something, if we wanted to cat whistle, we wanted to do whatever, we've been able to do it. And it's become culture, normal. So you have to be willing to say, you know what? What I've been doing is wrong and I do need to change. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's just that understanding there's, there's, again, this is general, but I'm just talking male perspective. There's guys that are going around traumatized that don't think they're traumatized. Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. hard to solve a problem if you don't think there is a problem. Right. Like seeing how, and this is not even guys that's been sexually abused. They just, if you've been brought up to, not no one ever says, hey, you're a man, you can just touch off women. Yeah. But they've been given the cues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They haven't been told to stop. Yeah. If you were brought up with this mindset, is going to control how you behave with certain right. people. You're going to expect certain mm-hmm. things. Oh, you're, you're being stush. You're not, this is what you're brought up as, as normal. This is a cultural cue. Yeah. So part of it is that wokeness, no better word, mm-hmm. to understand, okay, I get it now. I see that I shouldn't talk to him like this. I shouldn't say this. Yeah. And then to be brave enough to then go get the resources, to read yeah. the books, to have those... I saw you once and I and I touched you and I I thought I was being nice and cute, but I didn't know that could have triggered you. Right. Like there's not a lot of people it's becoming better now. Right. But that's why I say the young like the boys. The boys. You know what I mean? Like like that's get them while we can talk to them and while they're they are more willing to have those conversations. But I understand completely what you mean. It's if you don't know that you need that help, how can you ask for it? But um, I feel like we need to start having these conversations as early as humanely possible. And that's, that was, with this campaign, one of the major goals mm-hmm. is to have those uncomfortable conversations. And, you know, I was adamant about coming on your show for that reason. Mm-hmm. Because your... Your show? My show <laughs> for that reason. <laughs> because we're going to hit a group that we might not get going on magic that we might not get going on this program we're going to hit a special group of people that need to hear this just like everybody else needs to hear it so you know teaming you guys up now i can leave i've done my job you guys now (laughs) connected and you guys can now be like oh i had this person contact me i want to give it to you or vice versa she knows now that she can pass information out to you to Mm -hmm. give to your viewers like it has to be a community thing. Mm-hmm. Like when when a child is abused, it affects the community because mm-hmm. how that person grows up. You know, you're thinking of like welfare, homelessness. Mm-hmm. Is this person going to be violent? Is he going to get someone else pregnant? All these other things. It's a community yeah. problem, so yeah. it has to be a community solution. And I'm happy to speak on it in a way like. I just feel like sometimes we have conversations about stuff like this, and they're so like structured and. You know, not that we don't have structure, but we have structure. They're so structured and they're, they're had in a place where it's not going to reach a lot of the people that needs to be reached, like how you said, reach. And a lot of times people think that real uncensored is just vulgar and stuff like that. It has uncensored in the name. We talk about things that are more explicit sometimes. And um, I just like that we can introduce that audience that likes that to this. You see what I'm saying? It's like we can have casual conversations about these things. It doesn't always have to be at a forum or like you know in a therapist's office or something like that because people there are certain people who won't go like mm-hmm. how you said like people are not going to know that they need that help but if they listen to a podcast where there's entertained and then you know we're talking about something real 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like I'm I'm really happy to just have this space and have a conversation that is heavy, but casual so that it can reach people who like we have a lot of young parents that listen to us and um i'm excited that they can now know that you know i can i can holler at my girl susan mm -hmm. for just advice on how to have this conversation like i yeah there's a lot of people that need that so i um i'm i'm here mm -hmm. and whatever you need whatever you need um from us we you we're on board 100 percent. yeah i love it so thank, thank you for having us. <laughs> um, any closing remarks? I think everything was said. I, yeah, I'm good. I mean, thank you for hosting this lovely platform for us. <laughs> like, without you and this work, uh, there's so many people that wouldn't have this information. But on a serious note, um, thank you for coming and uh, including us in this conversation because we see the importance as well as um, talking about it, but also now we have access and we have information that we did not have before we started this episode. And I hope um, the viewers of your show are able to also now have access um, and information that they would not have known before this episode. Um, do know that this is, most of the resources that we will probably do are for Bermudians or people who live in Bermuda, um, residents of Bermuda. Um, so I do encourage you, if you are not in Bermuda, because we have a lot of overseas li listeners, um, to go into your communities and find the equivalent of the family center in your countries. Um, if you need access, sometimes it's a quick Google search. Sometimes it might be something a little bit deeper, but um, just know that you can have access to healing if you so choose to find that. You can have access to prevention if you so choose to find that um, within your communities because the family center is not an isolated um, thing to just for Bermudians. Um, most communities will have some kind of family center adjacent um, facility that you can go to and get the same exact resources that she um, we now have access to. Susan? Um, it has been a um, very fruitful discussion and I really appreciate um, the opportunity to sit with a group of people that are passionate about protecting our children and ensuring that um, that prevention is something that is in the forefront of all of our minds and, um, and knowing that our listeners um, know that there is a um, service uh, that's out there that is willing and able um, to provide free, um, safe, um, confidential services to our children and families that are in need of support. We're going to include it in the description, but can you also just mention where we could find you? So we are on 27 um, King Street, and we are actually in the Sunshine League building. Okay. Yes. So this has been The Real Takeover. Thank you for coming along for the ride, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. See you next time.